Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. Did you know that people use the search term non-space profit more than non-profit? It's all one word. This may seem inconsequential. You may be like, Erica, who cares? Really not relevant. However, when it comes to getting on someone's radar, these itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little things matter, and they matter a lot. My guest today is Chris Dickey, and he has a ton to teach us about how small changes in which words we use can have a big impact on our marketing results. I, of course, have thought and talked and written a lot about individual words and the power of the individual words and the energy of each and every word as we put it out to the world. But his take on this and his vantage point is quite different, actually, than mine is because he's thinking about it from the perspective of search engine optimization. So Chris, uh, his career has spanned publishing, in-house marketing, public relations, and software development. He is the owner and founder of Purple Orange Brand Communications, a boutique PR agency that, and I, I kind of love this description, produces small batch, high quality brand communications mixed with creativity, modern mediums, and a respected, authentic voice. Chris has helped dozens of brands go from small business to national sensation, and he's not kidding about that. Most recently spearheading the PR behind the newly established nonprofit Climate Neutral, which was named a 2020 Idea of the Year by Fast Company Magazine. So he will share more about that and how, you know, his part in getting them wildly and quickly on, on all of our radars, super cool organization as well. Most recently, Chris has launched something called Visibly, which is a new marketing slash PR SaaS platform that audits search results for brand mentions. He has some really very insightful things to say about PR, SEO, and what he calls search engine visibility, and what all that has to do with getting noticed in this very, very noisy world of ours. He also will introduce us to a new term, at least it was new to me, that term being link juice. So <laughs> wait for that. All right, here is my interview with Chris Dickey. Welcome to the show. Super excited to have you joining us to talk about marketing for good and all the cool stuff that you're up to. And you are joining us from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. That's correct. Yep. Correct. And from there, you actually manage two companies, Purple Orange Brand Communications and now Visibly. Right. Yeah. Am I getting this right so far? Yeah. So Purple Orange is a, is a PR agency. Um, we deal in... Active lifestyle and outdoor consumer brands is, is for the most part. So stuff that you would play with. Um, based, <laughs> being, being based in Jackson Hole, it kind of makes sense. It's like the stuff that you would put on your body to stay warm or go skiing with or go running and all, the, all those kind of active lifestyle brands that you might find at REI. Um, those are a lot of our clients. And then visibly, 
kind of morphed more recently out of out of Purple Orange. And so Visibly is a response. It, it's a software platform. It's it's available for everyone. It's 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 currently free. So there's no mm-hmm. there's no subscription. But Visibly was the idea of um, how do we how do we do a better job identifying, tracking, and improving our our brand and products visibility in search. And and a couple of years ago, as a, as a PR agency owner, I started realizing the most valuable PR hits that we were acquiring for our clients were the ones that were showing up at the top of search for mm. popular keywords. And it, it was it wasn't really there wasn't strategy behind it at the time. It was every once in a while, you know, one of our PR hits would just kind of like magically appear at the top of search results and it would just have this massive impact on our clients. And it was it was pretty awesome. And I also had another kind of anecdote that kind of drove me that direction, and that was we work in the outdoor industry and we, we had acquired a large product award for one of our clients. And it was, it was a gear of the year from outside magazine, which is the kind of the pinnacle outdoor publication mm-hmm. in, in the outdoor space. It was, we got the best sleeping bag award of the year, you know, and they give one of these out once a year and it's wow. a big deal. It's a big audience. They have a big online audience. They have a big print audience. They give you a full page spread. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything that you want from, you know, from a PR placement. And we, we circled back with the clients um, a couple months after we landed this. And I said, you know, and they were still a client of ours and we were working on multiple different campaigns. And I said, you know, tell me about that sleeping bag. How's that doing? How that, how that work out for you guys? And they said, you know, we've sold like some small amount like very small amount. It just, it didn't move the really? needle. Yeah, I know. Right. Like that was my response is like, how, how can you win the, the pinnacle award, you know, in the pinnacle publication or a product and it really isn't, wasn't moving the needle from the, you know, from the sales perspective. And it was at that point where like, I was really scratching my head and feeling kind of down in the dumps about PR. I'm like, my God, like we really have to figure this out. Uh-huh. And so I just, I kind of went online and I typed in best looking bags, 2017. That was, that was the year this happened. And um, that particular endorsement um, for outside magazine was on the second page of search for that non-branded keyword term, best uh-huh, best uh-huh. bag of the year. And I realized at that moment that winning a PR placement, um, no matter what, like how many key messages that you might win or how amazing the photography that went along with it was, or the publication got the, you know, your choice publication. If it didn't live beyond the flicker of the moment that it was published, it would have very limited value for our clients. And, you know, I think, I think print is a fantastic medium, but it's not a great medium to sell stuff. <laughs> What's it a fantastic medium for? Storytelling, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a fantastic medium for like, you know, you sit down with a print publication and there's a visceral quality to it. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and, and you're not there to buy, you're, you're there to consume, you're there to read stories and you don't want to be, you don't necessarily want to be sold to it. This is, this, this is my opinion. And I actually was a circulation director for a publication many years ago. And so, you know, I, I, I still think print print has like a good future, but it's a different future than it maybe was 10 years ago. Yeah. But anyways, so really when you need to find this ROI, I felt that I felt like there was a huge opportunity with search. And when you, when you step back and think about what search is, and, and that is like, I'm, I'm speaking about search engines here, is um, it's a massive product discovery zone. It's where people 
asks questions and the search engine returns answers. And there's actually around four to five billion people or billion questions being asked to, to search every single day. That's like 60 to 70,000 every second. And what's, what's, what's even more interesting about that, so that's, it's obviously a central piece of our lives. We ask, you know, is there, whether it's our phones or our desktop computer, we're asking all sorts of questions and we need answers. Turns out that over 70% of all the traffic, of all the answers will be consumed in the first five organic results on a page. Yeah. And effectively, if you don't find what you're looking for there, you just move on. You just you just change your keyword or right, your search right, query. Right. You don't you don't go deeper. Right. And there's this there's, there's this crazy curve that I could show you that shows you like, you know, how people click and it's it does it's like so consistent month to month, year to year, um, across different categories, but the very first organic result on a search query gets around 30% of all the traffic and then it drops okay. down to like 18 and then drops down to like 14 or 12. And it's just this logarithmic curve that just, just drops off exponentially toward the bottom of the page. The 10th or the, or the typically there's around 10 organic results in any given search page. The, the final result on the first page of search receives are only around 1% of the traffic. Oh. I know, right? So it's not enough to even be on the first page of search. You need to be at the top of the first page of search. And that, when you step back and think about it, is an Olympic level podium position, especially for a popular keyword. You know, when, when, I, when talking about a popular keyword is, you know, let's step back and talk about like top of funnel marketing for a minute. Like how do people find you? How do, that's the, that's the kind of constant kind of marketer's dilemma. Like yes, how do people is. know that we exist, that we're mm-hmm. even an option for a thing that you need or how we can help you. And so search allows you to get in front of people who need your product or service, but don't know you exist. And so say you're looking in, in, in our case for like a new tennis racket and you don't know where to start. You don't know who to like, who makes a good tennis racket. So you just type in best tennis racket. That is exactly the kind of customer that if you make tennis records, you want to get in front of, right? Cause it's like, right. here's somebody who has a high intent to buy, who's very interested in the subject matter and is not brand loyal by, by definition, the fact that they're not searching for a specific brand. And the thing about search is that you can you know exactly or pretty precisely how many people a month are searching for that keyword there's your customer base you know exactly where they're clicking on the page so then where the challenge becomes is how do you get in front of them how do you mm-hmm. get your brand within that top um, of the page and that that's effectively what the seo industry is right like and then in seo it's great if you can do it well, but you really don't have a lot of power around it because fundamentally SEO is about how to get your own website ranking better. And I think as a, as a PR practitioner and as somebody who leverages third-party endorsements for a living, we are like, it's not about your, your own website. That's about your brand. How do you get your brand in front of that person? And when you step outside of the box from talk, thinking about, oh, just my own property, my own website, and just thinking about, it doesn't matter how, how somebody finds you so long as they find you. Then you think about PR placements, you think about your e-commerce partners, you think about all these other channels that might show up in those top five positions in the search page where you can create product discovery or create um, a point of introduction. And that kind of comes back to what visibly is. So visibly is the idea 
it's, 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 a, it's a term that I call search engine visibility. And it's, it's, it's what is the likelihood that somebody is going to discover or find your brand in search? And it's not the likelihood someone's going to discover your website. Let's just talk about the likelihood that someone's going to discover your brand. Yeah, that's an important distinction, I think. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's, it, when you think about just focusing on your website, it's just a very narrow you know, thing. And, and at the end of the day, getting your website in that top five position for a popular keyword, like say best tennis racket, it's almost impossible. <laughs> and I hate to mm-hmm. say that it, it's, it's, it's kind of defeatist, but it, honestly, like it's, it's just not going to happen. And if you talk to um, an SEO expert, they'll, they'll quickly agree. And they'll say, you're never going to get there because you have to, you have to outbid Amazon and you're going to have to outbid like any of these massive media organizations that have written reviews about the best tennis rackets. And Google assigns kind of a page authority or, or like a domain authority to every single website out there. And it's like this kind of complex algorithm. Nobody really knows yes. the secret sauce to, but generally they're looking at how many incoming links do you have from other important websites coming to your own website? That's the idea of a backlink. Um, they're looking at your, your overall traffic, how many people, like how popular is your website, you know, in the scheme of things. And they're looking at a variety of other factors as well. But when you're literally up against sites like Amazon or say the New York Times or something, I mean, you literally have That's to displace <laughs> that. Yeah. And yeah. so I think my point is like, why don't you work with those brands, those publishers to find ways to introduce your product on their pages? So like, for instance, with Amazon, Amazon does a fantastic job with organic search. And they show up very frequently for non-branded keywords, especially ones of like commercial intent. And if you're selling through Amazon, they'll have a landing page that you'll click on and it'll recommend the best tennis rackets uh, for the space. And the question then becomes is not how do I get a better ranking than Amazon, but how do I get my product on that landing page? Right. Got it. Yeah, that's a very different goal. Totally. And it's, it's, a, it's a totally irrelevant goal. You know, it's like, again, like if, if, you, if you're looking to get in front of the customer and the other thing about Amazon from a marketing perspective is that there's, there's just a lot of trust with that website because almost everybody has um, an account there and there's a, they, they make it very easy to sell and they make it very mm-hmm. easy to get refunds. And it's a familiar property. And that familiarity actually increases the likelihood that you're going to click there, psychologically speaking. So there's a lot of reasons why you would want to work with Amazon rather than try to like beat them at their own game. Yeah, that seems <laughs> seems almost impossible, especially if you're <laughs> small to midsize or anything Entirely. like that. I feel like people, a lot of people have such a love-hate relationship with Amazon. They're like, oh, they're like, you know, this huge empire and yeah. uh, but, 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 but when a push comes to shove, if I need a new tennis racket, they're the devil, you I'm know, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I confess to having that moment frequently where I'm like, okay, well, I could, well, books, I definitely, I have my biggest tension from a brand perspective around books because, and, and now I will go to the local bookstore and order that way because it feels so important. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they have made it like, you know, this idea of friction and they've just removed all of it. And so, so I think, it, you know, it it, like easy. there's a values thing in there. <laughs> yeah, they make it, they make it real easy for sure. Right. So 
I love this, the specificity of the tennis racket example. Mm. And a lot of our listeners actually listen to, are working for nonprofits. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about Climate Neutral, which is a relatively new nonprofit yeah. that believes companies plus consumers can halt climate change, which is very pithy and catchy, and I love it, and was named a 2020 world-changing idea by Fast Company Magazine. Will you talk a little bit about a little bit, of, I mean, stay a little bit more about what it is yeah. and then also how you've helped them. And maybe if you can use it as an example of, of this new way of thinking about search engine, that'd be fantastic. I'll do my best. So with Climate Neutral, Climate Neutral is um, it's climate, climate neutral.org. And with their new nonprofit, 501c3, um, they're a client of ours at Purple Orange. And they recognized that there's no corporate standard for measuring and then ultimately giving companies a path toward climate neutrality um, or carbon neutrality, if you will. And I, I think there's there's a lot of pros and cons you could say to the off like carbon offsets. And and so, but I think what you need to do, what anyone needs to do who has a who has a negative opinion of of, of a climate of a carbon offsets is recognize that none of us, not any of us, can eliminate our carbon footprint to zero. We just can't do it. Um, you, you couldn't go to the grocery store and buy vegetables if you wanted to have a zero carbon footprint. I mean, how would you heat your home? You know, there's, there's all these kind of, you know, external factors, and especially for manufacturers and anybody producing any kind of goods, a lot of the production of those goods they're not doing themselves. They're 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 outsourcing. They have they have factories overseas. They have farmers that they buy those things from. Um, but all of those product, all those every single piece in that supply chain has a small carbon footprint, right? Like from the time that you harvest a vegetable or the time you manufacture a textile and you ship it wherever it needs to go, and that's ultimately that the complexity of that of that supply chain has been a major barrier for companies to measure their own carbon footprints. And what Climate Neutral is trying to do is simplify how you measure the footprint and take the pain out of it. Because before, you'd have to hire a third-party consultancy. It would take them weeks, if not months, with a team of people charging very high rates <laughs> per hour. And it would, and just to understand that, like, what, how much carbon your your company was responsible for was a very painful process, and it was it was a barrier to getting more companies to do it. And I would say that a lot of companies are interested genuinely in, in trying to be better at this, but it was just so challenging and so expensive that it just it made it really hard. So um, Climate Neutral was like, how can we streamline that process, A? And then B, uh, how can we provide a way for them to, if they can't reduce down to zero, how can we provide ver like a verified offset program to at least remove those carbon emissions elsewhere in the atmosphere. So you have a carbon neutral business. And then lastly, once you do all those kind of rigorous checkpoints and your and and, and climate neutral verifies that you've done it, you get a label. And it's it's very similar to like USDA organic or non-GMO verified. It's it's the idea that here's a third party independent auditor who has verified that you have accurately measure, offset, and reduced as much as your footprint as possible, and that you have a, a net zero impact on the, on, the, on the climate. And the idea is that we want both consumers and companies to step up to the plate here. 
you know, and consumers can um, vote with every single purchase that they make yes, to they buy and do. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. They do. And, we do. You know, I mean, I can tell you, I've, I've worked in the organic food industry. Um, that's actually one of the kind of tertiary areas that, that Purple Orange, my agency, works in. And um, organic labeling has revolutionized the natural food space. And, and it's even really kind of a, a big deal in conventional grocery stores now. And it's it's been a really, really positive impact. And I can tell you that there's a couple different organic labels and by far and away, the USDA organic label has the most consumer trust oh, interesting. And, and drives the best point of purchase um, sell-through. And so labels have like this really powerful effect on the consumer um, at point of purchase. And we felt that if we could label a carbon footprint mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> in the same way that people would, if they had a choice between two products, they would pick the one that was the less harmful on the environment. Right. And there's a lot of research to support that, you know, in different, in different ways, right? All things totally. being equal, consumers would like, or they think they're 82% more likely to purchase from something that has some sort of feel good or do good component to it. Totally. But it has to be all things being equal. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they're not really willing to take a hit for good, like in this case, carbon neutrality. They still mm-hmm. want the, the quality of the product still has to be there. Entirely. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's actually an excellent point. I think a lot of people, um, especially entrepreneurs, like will under will lead with yeah. their environmental message. And I and I in environmental messages, look, I, I'm actually an environmental studies major in my undergrad, and that was what got me into this outdoor industry because I, I I looked at this industry that was so uh, what I thought was progressive at the time when it came to the environment. Um, these companies like like Patagonia and whatnot, like stepping up and doing things very proactively. But um, you have to have a good product. Your product has to stand up. You know, and and if you don't, if you're not leading with your product, you you have the wrong idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from the a messaging perspective there, and then you figure out how can you make yes. it the best way possible and how can you deliver to the customer in the best way possible? Yeah. This is such an important point in terms of message, a sequencing of messaging. Yeah. So I hope, I hope people are, are hearing that. <laughs> well, because like, you know, and when you're living and breathing it and frankly, when maybe you care most about the environmental impact component of the product, you're sort of projecting into what you want consumers to care about as opposed to being sensitive and responsive to like how our minds buy, like the buying process and all of that. Yeah. Like you gotta, At the yeah, end of the day, it's anyway. got to work for you. You know, it's like, it, right? and I have a, I have a good example years ago. Um, and this is in the, in the, this is in the outdoor industry. Uh, one of our clients um, was a ski manufacturer was making these new ski boots out of like some recycled, environmental plastic. Great, great idea. But guess what? The ski boots just didn't work. Like they was just yeah, a that's a showstopper. Plastic. It's all yeah, about the boots. I mean, and and it was it was and it, and it honestly was like almost greenwashing in a certain a way because oh. it was like having this this product that didn't really do what it was meant to do just to have this environmental story behind it and then to have that environmental story kind of somehow play out across the rest rest organization that had no environmental story. So it just, it was just, it ended up to me as a PR person as a very inauthentic way of trying to tell, I don't know, it it just felt like, it felt like a marketing ploy, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it was absolutely. And and of course the, the boot didn't succeed, you know, so. That's a tough market. I don't want boots made out of like sunflower seeds. 
Well, you know, you like know, you need your ski boots to do their job. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, you got to draw a line. <laughs> yeah. But recycle plastic bottles, I could get behind all of that. But, you know, there's anyway, there's it's well, an excellent you know, example. I think and, there's a truism to some of the most environmentally friendly products are the ones that just last the longest and they and that you're not replacing them. Right. I mean, so that's just about good quality products. Totally. As opposed to I mean, consumer, well, or whatever it's you're about consuming out. less. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ultimately, it's like I think you know recycling is a is a fantastic idea on paper, but it it actually has a fairly heavy carbon footprint associated yeah, it with it. And I think that if you can just consume less, um, and that is have stuff that wear over and over again, and 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 works forever or works for a long time, ultimately that has the lowest footprint. It, it does. I mean, there are some, um, I think, implications that we have to call out around income and equality and the ability totally. to purchase the, you know, the highest quality product, um, and that that's not how a lot of people are able to to make their purchases. So there's definitely some work to do around sort of bringing into alignment this this over time. And I mean, I've spent some some time in Europe, and I'm always so struck by whatever country I'm in, like that, that really does tend to be more of the way that things are made because, be, because of longtime consumer demand. So yeah, people did it. I don't know who did the good job around marketing of recycling. Maybe that's a, a podcast for another day because <laughs> it is intriguing, right? Like we're like, Oh, look at me recycling all my stuff. But then we don't think about like, that's, it's, it's a huge carbon footprint to actually do it. No, you know, I, and I don't know if this, ha I, I think this happens less now than it used to, but I know in years past when recycling was in its infancy, they would literally ship bottles to Asia right. to get yes. them recycled. Yeah. I mean, you would recycle something in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it would be trucked across the United States, dumped into a, you know, a cargo container, shipped across the Pacific Ocean, and then recycled in a plant you know, at a place of using all coal burning energy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now that we've made listeners feel uh, oh my gosh. badly yeah. about yeah. their recycling. <laughs> I still recycle for the point. I, I, I do. I, I absolutely, I don't. I, I, Keep I recycling everybody in compost away. Think, you know, we can, we can always just do a better job. You know, like we, it's good to poke at ourselves. Yes, it is. Okay. So, can we come back to climate neutral, the organization? And will you share with us a little bit about how you used all of these tools that you have to, I mean, ultimately they were named 2020 world changing idea by fast company. Again, yeah. that's a pretty like Olympic level ninja level <laughs> placement, um, especially for a nonprofit. Thank you. Yeah, that was, it, yeah, that was a big win. And, yeah, we've, yeah. And, and we've had a couple others like that as well for them. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic idea. So I don't, I don't want to take too much credit for it. But at the end of the day, the thing about climate neutral is that you really have to understand that there's two, there's two distinct audiences for their company and their brand. Ultimately, who they sell to are other business executives. They have to even though they are in some ways a B2C company and they, and they have this label that um, we hope can change the world in a lot of ways, they need the buy-in from the highest levels of any business to say, well, we're going to go down this path that is more expensive and more, and, and more costly to have the label. And so we recognize that um, you know, companies like or outlets like Fast Company are really speaking to that to that corporate executive and helping tell that story to them as well. So there is a very much a bifurcated kind of uh, marketing plan there. With when it comes to search engines, we we did a big 
deep dive with them. And we, we realized that I don't think a lot of people search for climate related stuff. And, and, and so I, even though we That's did all of this um, work around, uh, I, I think that visibly and, and the idea of search engine visibility works very, very well for um, product discovery. I'm not sure how many people use it for nonprofit discovery, if you will. Mm-hmm. Intangibles. But what I can tell you is that we've done, is that, is that the PR that we produced almost completely dominates um, search results for climate neutrality or like climate neutral. And so not only is climateneutral.org in one year gone from non-existence to the very first organic search result for that term, climate neutral, but all the media around climate neutrality, I'd say 50% of it relates to the, you know, what the work that the organization is doing. So anybody who's interested in the, in the concept of climate neutral, um, they will find the, what the organization is doing. So I'm guessing listeners at this point are like, I want to be number one in search engine. How'd you do it? What'd you do? <laughs> um, a lot of things. It's, it's not so... I mean, I have, an, I have an assumption, actually, which is that you, I mean, the name of the organization is Climate Neutral, and that was yep. also the search term, yep. Yep. the key search term. So was that chicken, where, no, which, which is the chicken and which is the egg? Well, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely recognize that like climate neutral and the, and, and, and the term climate neutrality was something that we wanted to capitalize on. And, okay. and, and we didn't come up with that term. It was, it already existed right, 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 right. for yeah. us. We did spend the money to buy the URL, climate neutral. So okay, that's, that's interesting. very, very, very helpful. Number two, um, we needed to develop high quality backlinks. And so that's where PR comes in. And, and we start getting, we start telling that, that story. Will you we explain getting, what backlinks are? A backlink is anytime another website links to your site. Thank you. It's, and it's, there's it literally um, in, 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 in SEO world, they call it link juice. And link it's, it's juice. A, <laughs> All right. Juice. And it's this, it's this <laughs> that sounds kind of ewy. <laughs> it's this conception of like going from um, you have you have the the domain authority of one site and they're sending a little bit of their juice over to your site by saying, hey, we recognize these guys are an important voice in the space. We're going to link to them and, and tell people. And that that link is seen as a vote by Google that you are um, a, 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 a reliable source for this particular subject matter. Um, and particularly... I think something that uh, you know a, a very a very small thing that I would say is overlooked by a lot of marketing organizations um, or nonprofits is um, the more creative, unique you are with your name, the harder it is to rank for, in search because people search for very broad terms and they and when they don't know what they're looking for, they start with the broadest term possible. And if you can optimize around those words, those that those very broad words, like climate neutral, for instance. I have another company that we work for um, in the um, in the in the consumer package goods space, and they made bags. And they named their very first bag the everyday messenger bag. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay. And, and they and they killed it. And everyone looking for an everyday messenger bag finds this bag. Wow. Yeah, totally. So what do you, what, what's your advice to organizations that already have their name? They're probably not going to rename because that's mm. a big hairy deal. Yeah, yeah. So what's the next, what's the next little 
Where do they go from there? What's the next nugget? Yeah, um, yeah. The, the next nugget is the, I would, gosh, I, I think it's really like, you have to look at every single organization in its own light and, and kind of what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. But if they have a program or a certification or what is the what is the core service that they're providing the community, that in and of itself could be seen as a product. And you can name that something that is very commonly known, you know? And I think as a marketer, you, you want to be really catchy and clever and Unfortunately, that doesn't always help you unless you're a name brand to begin with. Um, if you're if you're fighting for um, share of voice in a very crowded space, being descriptive in your name and people understanding what the name means is actually to your benefit. Yeah, especially yeah. in search. And that and it is it is a tricky business because a lot of the descriptive names are taken. So that's it was interesting to hear that Climate Neutral bought the URL. That can be a pretty significant investment. Um, in terms of that process, if you're either picking your name out of the gate or renaming, I mean, I've worked with a lot of organizations. They had a couple corporate sponsors that were that wanted to put them off on the right foot, which I think was smart. Oh yeah, I mean, if you could pull it off, it's fantastic. But oftentimes, especially nonprofits or small businesses, you know, B corps right. just don't. That can be a very expensive investment. So one of the some of the work that I do is around and research I do is around brain novelty and what our brains do when they when it gets you know any, anything that's novel actually our brains aren't super sophisticated about it they're like oh new text message that's neat look at me <laughs> you know oh someone's a chat on TikTok great anything is sort of novel and so you know when I work with organizations um, I, I focus on this idea of sort of the art and science of integrating novel words that aren't that are not overused. So a lot of, you know, words are extremely overused within you know, different spaces with these really straightforward words, both from, from the search engine perspective, but also from just a readability, you know, reading ease perspective, like you can reading ease and those types of things. So what I'm hearing you say, which is interesting, is if you are a company or organization where being found on search is important to you, mm-hmm. let me say, I'm saying if, because they're what is true for the social impact space is that uh, word of mouth marketing is still the, the the big driver actually. But, but I just feel like we've transitioned and I would say, you know, COVID actually is, this is one of the impacts it's going to have is like, we're, we're just more reliant on everything technological. So even our connection yeah. with cause um, is really being called into question, um, not called in question a little bit, but more so how are we going to connect yeah, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, there's a ton of nonprofits, and um, they're all trying to figure out how to make money this year because, like, they're all their traditional ways of capturing, you know, development um, is is all is all person to person, and yeah, so all these tools have to evolve. Is my point? All of them have to evolve, and that's super overwhelming. Yeah. All right. So that's why I was asking kind of like, all right, so if your name's off the table, where do you go next? Well, content. Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And, we and talk I know, a bit about I know that. you cover content on the show quite a bit, mm-hmm. um, but content is, is super critical, you know, and, you know, we named the software project that I'm working on called Visibly. Visibly is a, is a nonsensical name. No one, and, and I, I realized quickly that, and, and it, it's a plan of words. We were trying to go for visibility. And it's, uh-huh. it's a simple URL. I think it's a good one. But it's ultimately, great. currently, because we're so new and, and we're brand new, uh, we just released our beta last week. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, that new. New, new, new. New, new, new. It's been around for you know, it's been around for a year, um, and it's but we were kind of it was in closed beta for a long time. So, so now it's an open beta. Um, it's just another step forward. But anyways, nobody, only people who look who 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 search for visibly v i s e b l y is someone who's misspelling the word. Oh. <laughs> so so what will you do? In I mean. So what, Exactly. So, so what we'll do is we'll put forward a fairly well thought out um, content strategy that okay. focuses on existing keywords that we know have search volumes that we think that we can rank for and that we can actually make an you know make an impact for. So, this is now this is more traditional SEO, but. Um, a lot of people ask questions in search engines yeah, and yeah. the fact of the matter is like the more colloquial like you respond to those questions the the more google likes you google doesn't reward robots they reward people doing good good work and they have some pretty sophisticated algorithms that's kind of like sniff out if you're if you're a bot or if you're a human and so what i would say is you know think about what are the what are the most pressing questions that you're solving as an organization and what are what are what are the pain points or what are the things that people will be asking questions about or curious about or points of interest that that you guys have points like knowledge on um, and then formulate blog posts around those questions questions are a great way to optimize and search um, and they're really under leveraged in the most part people try to try to optimize for these non-branded keywords like i was talking about at the beginning of the conversation and well if you can do that then you're in a really good position but Questions are the next step, and and you see these question boxes and really showing up a lot in search where it's it's known as people also ask, and um, Google will extract those from websites and they'll populate those right at the top of search, and they're guessing that if you put in this keyword or this query, you might actually mean you might actually want one of these questions. Like they have this really crazy sophisticated algorithm that tries to determine intent of a of a search. So they're like, not only they think that if you put in this keyword and based on your patch search history, you actually, you actually want this and they're actually pretty good at determining that. <laughs> that totally creeps me out. I know. I know. It's kind of scary. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So from a content strategy, if I'm thinking through this, you know, and a listener is trying to figure out how to apply this, would you literally sit down and say, what are the top 10 problems that we solve as a company or organization? And then you would develop a content strategy around that. I do a couple of things. Um, I think that's, I think that's a great way to do it. I think that other thing that it, would, it makes sense to do is there's, there's a, there's a handful of free uh, keyword research tools out there. And I would just jump in one of those keyword research tools and you'll find that little iterations in the way that you talk about something have massive different audiences. Mm-hmm. And the way that you think about something, if you change in, I'll give you a little anecdote. And this goes back to kind of the outdoor industry is we work for a kayak company and the difference between calling something a lightweight kayak versus a portable kayak is like tens of thousands of people a month. Which one's more popular? The lightweight kayak. The lightweight kayak. Okay. Yeah. Because so that's what makes it might, portable. You might really think that, oh, the value proposition here is importable. But um, in fact, way more people by a, a magnitude of like five or six X are searching for 
for lightweight. So it's like, okay, well, lightweight and portable are, are kind of, you know, the same thing. And maybe we really want to pivot around the term lightweight. So you'll, you might find that same thing with your organization, um, whereas you really think that the value proposition is encapsulated in this one word, but you find once you do this, this like very simple keyword research that a synonym of that word is the one receiving all the traffic. So then you pivot around that and, and you and you try to like start building out stuff around that. So there's a little pieces of insight there. I think the other thing to look at is how do, how would somebody find you? I always try to like step back from yourself and say, you know, what would be the points of discovery? Can you can you reverse engineer how somebody would find your organization? And when you start asking that question and you ask other people that question, that will bring up a lot of little points of like, oh, I can optimize around this idea and this idea and this question. And and I think that's that's a really good way to think about it as a marketer is, you know, what what's that customer journey to discovery and, and all these steps that happen. Mm-hmm. But but I think you're raising an important point, which is to, to reverse engineer it. I'm a huge, I'm going to out, I'm a huge fan of reverse engineering in general. Um, but definitely for this, because oftentimes what, what marketers will do, and, and you see this with strategy. So, you know, anybody listening who's done a strategic plan, you start and you look forward as opposed to saying, as opposed to putting yourself in a, in a future point in time and saying, okay, let's assume that, you know, this person found us, what did they do in reverse engineering? And actually you get the reverse engineering is much more actionable. I think it's quite it's yeah. quite challenging for us to sit in present and look future. It's like monolithic iceberg that is the future. And the other thing that allows you to do is say like do we know, you know, do we know our customers and how you know how did Steve get here and how did you know Jane get here and all of those things. So I love that. I will also give a little anecdote which is around the word nonprofit and search. And I actually, I'm forgetting which one is most popular, but the difference between nonprofit all is one word, which by the way, if you work for a nonprofit, most folks will just write nonprofit, no hyphen, no space. So there's a huge difference from a search perspective between nonprofit all one word, which is the least sort of popular in terms of search, nonprofit with a hyphen. And I think it is true that the most popular was non-space profit. And one is just, you know, again, a little anecdotal example, but it's also an example of the way that the folks working in an industry think about the words versus the consumer or the donor or, you know, whoever you're really trying to reach, think and search can be really different. You you know, and and that brings up a little point that I love about search is that because of it's like this aggregate of like human experience and it's happening on such a a rapid scale every single day, you get to see these trends in, in human behavior and how people see the world. And it might be in alignment with what you think, and it might not be. And that's why this keyword research becomes really interesting to me. Well, I really appreciate all that you've shared. I have learned a ton. I confess that, I mean, I understand how important search engine visibility, to use your terminology, is, um, but it's not something that I've done a a super deep dive on. I do tend to play more in the sphere of upper-level messaging and messaging strategy and not go as deep. So I appreciate both the sort of strategy tips that you've given us, but also the very specific, like, you know, go and put in your search term with free search tool. What I can tell you is that I, I also come from that same discipline is like, I'm a messaging guy, I'm a PR guy, I'm a storyteller. 
I come from like an industry that is very rich in storytelling. That is the outdoor industry. We love telling stories about the outdoors. And what I can tell you though, is that if you don't put together a powerful distribution strategy, it's all for naught. And you have to figure out how am I going to get this message out there? And I think we've focused on that more and more as an agency over time, especially as the digital tools have progressed. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, to invest in, in storytelling is great, but if no one can hear the story, then that's where the frustration comes in. Yeah, you're just sitting there in front of the fire all alone, yeah, telling just, your stories, <laughs> eating your s'mores, telling your stories out there in the woods. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So I always end uh, my interviews with the same question, and it has to do with motivation and inspiration. So inspiration, the root of that word means to breathe in. And motivation is about action. So we need both of these things to, to do what we're doing. So I'm curious what, what, thank you. I do too. Actually, when I discovered that about inspiring, I was like, sort of it like opened my mind in a very different way. What inspires you? What keeps you motivated to do this work? Oh, that's so good. Um, I love meaningfully connecting with people. And I think that it has become harder and harder um, as there's more people and there's more static and there's more options and to find the people that really care about your message or your thing becomes more and more challenging. That comes back to my point about distribution, but it's also a message. You want to, you want to curate a message that's going to resonate and connect, but that, that facilitation of meaningful connection is, is what I find to be most satisfying at this point in my career. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for making time to to join me today on the podcast. I I really admire how you're uh, like applying like tried and true PR tactics and strategies with much more cutting edge search engine kind of pioneering in that in that space. It's really fun to hear about that. And also all your examples of, you know, of marketing for good from a whole bunch of different spaces, which is what we like to talk about on this. So thank you, Chris, for being here. And also thanks to our listeners for joining us for this conversation. As always, do good, be well, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.